You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies use to acquire real customers, build a brand, and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant at Mint Studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. Today, I'm chatting with Lex Sokolin, a futurist and entrepreneur working on the next generation of financial services. And that's not an understatement. He is the global fintech co-head at Consensus and also writes a weekly newsletter called The Fintech Blueprint. He hosts a podcast and he even creates his own digital art. Consensus is a blockchain technology company building the infrastructure, applications and practices that enable a decentralized world. They are an industry leader in Ethereum solutions, offering a wide suite of products that serve millions of users. In April, Consensus raised $65 million through JP Morgan, MasterCard, UBS, and several blockchain companies. Let's hear from Lex. So uh, Lex, I, I really like your art. I've had a chance to look through it and I really, I really like how you're using different uh, like AI and, and different technology and really pushing yourself, right, to create something new. What would you say is the most exciting thing that's happening at the intersection of art and finance at the moment? Would you say it's NFTs? Well, first off, that's that's very kind of you. I try to keep a visual practice and I think it's really important for for people who want to make things up from scratch to just practice without constraint and and without priors and so I think it's a it's a great practice for anybody whether it's it's writing or the visual arts if you try to intersect it with finance I think the NFT movement is certainly you know like a, a symptom of it and there's some deep things going on about with within NFTs that we can talk about but I think you can also split it apart into you know, the visual arts, what's going on there, and then the broader social media trends and what's going on with influencing and, and influencers and social currency. And then the the various like economic machines and mechanisms that are being put around artistic objects. And and then of course collectibles and like like functional collectibles that that work as financial instruments. So it's a bit of a word salad, but uh there's there's a lot going on. And which one do you think is most exciting for you personally, since you're like actively um, taking part in it? Yeah, I think it's it's almost an impossible question. So yeah. I'll I'll say what's um, the furthest away from me. The the furthest thing, the things that are the least intuitive are probably watching like mega influencers uh, like Cuban or Gary V or like big DJs and and pop stars move into the NFT space and. While that's that's really cool for a lot of those fan bases, I feel like that's just sort of big mainstream culture, you know, f- finding a new market for itself. What I think appeals to me the most are some of the geekier versions of this. So you have projects like Artblocks or uh, EthArt or Async Art where the nature of the platform, like the nature of the blockchain protocol on which the art sits is actually reflected in the art. And so especially when you have art that is uh, like interactive or generative, so you can have a conversation with the art by taking actions there, there it's immersive, or you can change it by clicking around, things like that. There's a lot of um, 
pieces of that nature on the Hen platform, which is like a Tezos-based platform. And so to me, that's really super cool because you can not only own an artistic experience, but it's also natively digital rather than just trying to kind of shoehorn in a uh, something into a new format, if that makes sense. Sounds a little bit like uh, Netflix's Black Mirror episode where you could click. I don't know if you watched that. It was a long yeah. time ago now. Sounds a bit like that, right? Kind of experience. And I thought when I saw that, I was like, wow, we're going to see more of this for sure. It's so different. And that's kind of what you're saying, but in terms of art, right? I think the stuff that's going to last is the the type of work that uses the medium seriously, or, you know, th- that is mm. special purpose for the medium, right? In the sense that I think it's it's awesome that you can own a JPEG or a movie clip. And I think that's, it gives you a flavor of what should happen or w- what is likely to happen, but it's really just a flavor in, in that it's, it's a preview of one attribute of the blockchain medium. And that attribute is ownership and, and property enforcement and kind of mar- financial markets and all the stuff that comes with crypto platforms. But it doesn't necessarily use the things that are special about the blockchain, which is that, you know, aside from owning stuff, it's a series of numbers and code, and it is massively distributed globally, and it is run by these communities that are that are very participatory. And so, the stuff that I'm excited to see, and I think will stand the stand the test of time, are projects that use the fact that it's a computational platform, right? And so the art reflects the computation and that use the fact that these are participatory community projects. And so, you know, multiple people might own different parts and negotiate the different parts between them and have turf wars about them. You know, and the fact that it's all digital, like the whole point of the digital medium is to be able to play with it and interact with it and move around in it rather than kind of just have a still. So Anyway, all that to say, it's it's the beginning, but it's certainly not the end. It reminds me a bit of a quote uh, that I read somewhere saying that most people, like the internet is still not being used to its full potential. Actually, we're only using about 2% of the internet. Someone said that, I don't know where. Uh, we're, we're only using like 2% of the internet's potential and we're, in it. we're very far from realizing its full potential. And it sounds like with kind of what you're saying... NFTs and and art that is a lot more immersive, for example, that's just taking that another step further, like using digital completely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exciting. And not not only do you create art, but you also publish a newsletter and you have a podcast. Um, So would you consider yourself a content creator? Uh, I, it, it is absolutely true that I create content. So I guess in that way, I am a content creator. I think for, for me in my professional journey, it's taken a while to find ways to combine the creator part with my, my, the subject matter, right? So I started my career in financial services with a bend towards kind of economics and the law. And then I have a passion for, again, like visual art and, and writing and sort of the, the philosophy of things. And it took a, it took quite a long time to be able to Put that, put those more qualitative, poetic things into the context of you're talking about J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs, right? 
And so um, that's been a, a real sort of revelation and uh, over the last five years where you've had fintech, uh, financial technology, crowbar, crowbar the conversation, pop open the banks and, and open up the conversation around finance and make it accessible and, and gamified. And instead of it being serious, it just becomes uh, theatrical in the same way that everything else around us is. And so fintech has done the first step for that and crypto and blockchains and decentralized finance and NFTs now have really, I would, to me at least, sort of put the nail in the coffin of finance as a serious thing. And I think the the generational vibe is that it's all a game, it's all sort of a simulation. And so let's let's treat systems with humor rather than with sort of a, a fear of the sovereign. And so th- those are the conditions, I think, in which my voice, which is very niche and very specific to, you know, to, to this combination, has found an audience and, and it's been awesome. Um, I do want to touch on the topic a little bit on on DeFi, but before that, it's really exciting to see how content creators are, like yourself, are just um, gaining a lot of momentum. And I'm obviously a subscriber to many of the different like fintech uh, writers and thought leaders. Um, do you think, because this is a, a podcast about fintech and marketing, right? So do you think that fintech companies, or, or I guess, what is your opinion in general of content creators and as a fintech marketing strategy, do you believe that that content creators are something that uh, fintech companies can collaborate with and should maybe implement into their like marketing mix? Yeah, so I guess content creation falls into a bunch of different camps, right? So first is just the the written thing or the analysis or the storytelling or the the brand narrative, whatever it is that aligns with the the thing that you want to tell and who you are. And so there's a brand attribute to it. And then there's the, you know, the organic search attribute to it in the sense that content brings traffic and attention and some amount of engagement, although sort of unidirectional engagement. And then you also have some some people becoming influencers or in the like micro influencers in the sense that they have a professional kind of social media footprint that generates for them an audience that they can leverage for business development and outreach and marketing and customer customer development and ideation things like that so yeah i think there are multiple multiple traditional marketing functions that are all bundled together in in what you call a content creator these days and so for sure, you know, for for fintechs as well as you know venture investors and even public markets investors, I think figuring out ways to partner with folks who have these audiences and who have a voice is is super important. I do want to add add a story, which is I guess part of how I got here, which is in in about two thousand nine uh, when I was back in the US, I started a robo-advisor called Nestec Wealth. And at the time, you know, fintech, hashtag fintech wasn't wasn't yet a thing and neither was the word robo-advisor, but the idea today is obvious, which is that you you put a financial advisor into a website or a phone, the end, you know, and automate automate what they do. And like there there weren't a ton of comparisons at the time to look at. We had Betterment but really the brightest example was mint.com and mint.com is is like the founding for me the founding moment for the fintech industry and mint.com ran an absolutely stellar 
content marketing operation, like a truly massive content farm that uh, just grew their their mailing list and their signups and hypercharged them without a product to like uh, 500,000 people on a waiting list. And that was very, very powerful for me as an entrepreneur to look at that and say, you know, connecting with your audience and figuring out what they care about and figuring out if you were to solve something for them, that they would care about that, that, that they would care about whatever product you're building in response to their, to their needs and demand. And all of that sort of lives on, on content and the type of traffic and engagement that you see based on the topics that you push out. I mean, that's an amazing market signal. And Mint was doing it as far back as 2006, 2007. And so, you know, I, I think I've certainly taken a lot of inspiration just from from that playbook then. And it's it's grown since. Yeah, definitely. I love the Mint story. And I think it was directed by Noah Kagan, right? And he's written about yeah. the story, like a case study, detailed case study on how he did it. And it's a very, very I've promoted it. I mean, I've, I've you know talked about this a lot on social media because I'm also a very big fan. And I think another reason why content fits so well with fintech is because at its base, a lot of fintech is is educational, right? Is in ha- understanding how finance works. And no one teaches us this in school, right? Growing up, no one no one learns about how to manage their taxes or how to do a budget. And so, and so where do they go? Well, they go to Google, right? And that's where Mint was with their content is that they were answering answering people's questions and then um, obviously this was, this would kind of take them down the funnel and they would learn more about fin- Mint and then sign up and et cetera. So I think that's why to me, FinTech and content fit well, so well together. And that's why it's a very interesting space. And it's cool to see how it's developing even further nowadays. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard to react. It was always hard to re- react to that story because I'm pretty sure that if I follow step by step, whatever Noah did, I would get like less than a percent of the results. So I think there's a lot of voodoo alchemy that um, a super growth hustler like him brought to the mix, you know, and, and so going back to the earlier point of like, you do bring the full stack marketing skill set and growth hacking skill set, and you have to understand the zeitgeist and sort of like, what's the, what's the cultural moment and where to plug in and, and pick your social media channel and then speak in the language that's appropriate there and all of these things. But for sure, content is, I think, a core pillar, you know, and for a while, I guess maybe like seven years ago, I thought that it was overplayed in the sense that everybody was just hiring a content farm and spamming out a, you know, like if you look at personal capital, for example, um, and their blog, just generating all this raw word count with really no outcome. And after a while, when you have, you know, 50 different companies all publishing two to two to five articles a week on what is a bank account and what is a mortgage, it just becomes kind of gray goop. But the, I think the landscape has changed in the, in the recent several years. And what has worked for me personally has been to, to focus on analysis rather than uh, definition, you know, and so you'll, you're going to have very different strategies, you know. So for me, for example, it's it's deep research and analysis. It's an opinion and a point of view. It's a little bit of illustration and uh, kind of data illustration of stories. 
And that's going to be, you know, my audience is mainly uh, like other fintech builders or investors. And so I tend to be the person that the, like the, the operators read when they're trying to figure out how to operate their business. And then you take a, a different footprint like Finimize, for example, I spoke with them recently mm-hmm. and Finimize has, you know, a, a gigantic, much more retail footprint because they are focused on, you know, like investment ideas and the how to's and so on. So you just have to kind of figure out your goals and align your strategy against that. But I think you're right that it's the future is adding your own opinion or adding your own recommendations to it. I mean, I, I do not take my fintech news from um, from publications anymore. I only take it from Substacks newsletters. And to me, it's a lot more interesting because I get a personal opinion from an expert, someone who's really interested in, and then they get in other people's um they, they debate, they do podcasts. Like to me, that's so much more interesting than just a generic SEO article, just a hit word count. So yeah, I think it's, it's the future. Uh, and I'm glad <laughs> because it's a lot better. Um, so I, I wanted to touch a little bit on DeFi. I am not at all an expert on decentralized finance, so we won't get into the technical part. but uh, I love your take on, uh, FinTech, how FinTech focused mainly on distribution and on the middle industry and hasn't really changed much about financial services, not the fundamental parts, right? And it's it's only really democratized access to an existing financial product and not actually changed the product itself. And I like, uh, there's a quote that you say where you say like what Bitcoin is doing to finance, uh, Napster did to the music industry. So I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, if DeFi is the future of financial services, what does financial services marketing look like in a world of like Lego blocks, essentially? Yeah, it's a very hard question. So, you know, the the core premise, like you said, is finance isn't special from any other industry. There there are some things that are different, but it's it's unapproachable and made complicated by jargon in the same way that medicine is. But at its core, there is the factory where products get made, and then there's a store where products get sold and distributed to to people, uh, and then there's a bunch of value chain in the middle. And so Fintech was about taking the store and putting it into the browser or the phone. Uh, And there are many more things to say about that, but it's as simple as that, really. You know, and the word democratization is is kind of like, well, now everyone has an iPhone and so it's democratized, right? And so now everybody has, your iPhone's really your bank. I mean, if you want to access your finances, they're in your iPhone uh, or in your phone. And yes, you you press a bunch of buttons um, and you might open a, an app, but the brand is really, and the primary experience is really the operating system of the phone. And so while that's interesting and more convenient and more people can do that than have to go to a bank branch and interact with some uh, other person, it's, it's, um, you're getting the same stuff as, as was there you know, 50 years ago. And core banking software, which is the software, for example, to run uh, depository accounts where you put cash, written in the 70s, 80s, you know, in Cobalt and languages that people don't support anymore and so on. And so what blockchain-based, I'm trying, to, I'm trying not to lingo it up, but what crypto-based um, software does is recreate the foundation of where the money can go. You don't have to believe in Bitcoin at all. You can just say, you know, I want to hold the US dollar, but I want to hold it on a blockchain native system. And it's the same thing like, 
do I want to hold a dollar on paper in the form of a check? Or do I want to hold the dollar in, in uh, cash in the form of the paper money? Do I want to hold the dollar in the shape of a number on a screen that's hosted in the cloud? Or do I want to hold the dollar in the shape of a, a token amount in an address on a blockchain? Like all of these things are form factors and they can, some things can sound novel and difficult, but there's nothing special about it. It's just technology changing over time. And so, you know, DeFi and decentralized finance reinvents a lot of the machinery and rebuilds it on modern infrastructure rails. And so you get to the question of how do you market this? And there are some things that, that open up that are challenges that I'd say more traditional B2C and even in B2B marketing don't interact with, which is number one, these are networks that have addresses from people in every single part of the world. Yeah, so there's 135, no, that's not right. Uh, there's about 160 million Ethereum addresses, which is kind of the equivalent of a bank account. And they are in every single part of the world that you could think of, every single country that there is. And it's the same thing for investing apps and lending apps and insurance apps and what have you. So the the difficulty is if you are trying to grow a user base for an application in the system, how do you reach every country in the world? Uh, and how do you do it in a way that's regulatorily appropriate, right? So if you figured out how to market a wealth management practice in the US, that doesn't mean you can market an investment management practice in London or in Japan or China. And so the global nature is really difficult. And then second is these are internet native products. So their history is not in the regulatory kind of, um, it's not in the power of the states. It's not in the history of, of uh, trying to, you know, create a federation or something like that. It's, it comes out of 4chan and like anonymous and raw internet culture. And so that means it is community driven foremost the conversations live in Discord, right? So that means you, you trace it out of the gaming community. And influencers have a asymmetric uh, kind of weight in getting people to uh, take things seriously or not seriously. And, and then there's also kind of a, a language barrier. So the, the language that you, for example, can use in DeFi would put off anybody who works at traditional financial institutions and also probably is is quite different from fintech language. And so I think these are these are all pretty chunky challenges to get over if you're if you're trying to do content or, or try to tell stories. This episode is sponsored by VC Innovations. VC Innovations is a full stack marketing services agency dedicated to innovation industries with a special focus on fintech. They work with businesses across three key areas of marketing, demand generation campaigns, and event properties, including the must-attend FinTech Talents Festival. Check out vcinnovations.co.uk to find out more. Okay, so basically you're saying that there's still a lot of work to be done before we can really understand what financial services marketing looks like. And it's going to be more community driven, which we are seeing a little bit happening already, which is quite exciting. And more maybe 
content creators, as you're saying, or influencers that are part of that community. And really for it to become more accessible to everyone, we'll have to probably, well, there'll be a, a lot of education will have to take place in order to encourage people to to take part of that. Would you would you agree? I think it's even I think it's it's quite quite more intense than that, you know, and it all oh, really? it all really does start with your goal, right? So if you are Schwab and you want to market, you know, that you've spun up some new uh, cryptocurrency trading capability, that's going to be very different from if you are Square Cash App and you're doing crypto trading and you want hip hop artists to tell that to their fan bases, which is going to be very different from if you are, you know, some some DeFi protocol and you've got you want some kind of rock star marketers to tell your story on social media and you pay them millions of dollars worth of tokens and that's their incentive. And so I, th- I think it, it's, it's super contextual. You know, in all cases, it's highly community driven. The further you are from traditional finance and the closer you are to crypto native, the more marketing becomes a very clear revenue generator and therefore like a driver of the business but the business is not traditional in the in the sense that we're used to the business is the community so if the community has you know 200 or 2000 people that all hold the token and all they want is for somebody to promote their community and they're allocating funds for for that activity you know they're going to be cheerleading you as you tell the story and as you tell the story the thing that you talk about becomes more valuable and there's all sorts of you know gray lines around this stuff too, in the sense that you have to be ethical and there's a difference between promotion and analysis and, and so on. But you can, you can really see a lot of human nature display itself in, uh, in crypto when this happens. I think there's a lot of experimenting yet to be done. I, I was doing some playing around with it myself and uh, I discovered Mirror, which is a platform where you, it, it's really interesting where you basically have to vote for someone to produce uh, a piece of uh, in-depth piece of content. And once they raise the money, then they produce it. I thought that was really interesting. And I'm a writer also at my core. So I've joined just to see what would happen. Um, and I think it's a very interesting concept. And and maybe a big part of all this is kind of just, you know, the, the, the companies or the fintech companies that are willing to take the leap and try new things are the ones that might, you know, come out at the front in the end. Um, because I'm thinking, you know, if we have a CMO or, or a marketing manager listening to this of a fintech company, you know, would you say to them, look into DeFi or is it more like, you know, just wait, see what happens? It's not really a core part of fintech yet. What would you say? For me, at least, novelty and the frontier are really important. And I try to spend most of my time trying to figure out what about the frontier works so it's it's not a lot of fun to be like these are the things about the frontier that doesn't work. Um, you're, you're not learning anything from that position. But if you're looking at the frontier and you say, sure, a bunch of things will break, but there are some implicit assumptions and mechanisms here that will that are right. And if they're right, then there's going to be this amazing blue ocean of opportunity where because I see this now, I'm going to be first. And for any marketer, being first on a platform that grows is really powerful, right? You can, you can own a category because there's just no competition yet. And so, you know, I'd say that's the, that's the approach one should take to, to DeFi. But you can look a little bit broader than DeFi and just recognize the, the nature of 
memetic finance, right? Like meme-driven finance. And so you don't have to talk about crypto to talk about Robinhood and GameStop and Reddit and the fact that there's a like a community story-driven populism now that is very tightly associated with voting with your money, with financial investing. And that's not good from the perspective of a traditional financial advisor in that it's likely going to get you a worse mathematical outcome. But it, it is the, the reality of the world. It's the truth. And it also shows that uh, financial products are not just mathematical products. They're, they're emotional products too. So people express themselves through their financial choices. And that's what happens when you've democratized a thing, right? Like when you've you, you take something that was a craft and hard to get access to, and then you turn it into software and you give it to everybody through a phone, and now it's a commodity. There's no difference. It's all the same. And so the obvious next step out of that for any provider, distributor, is to find an angle to differentiate. And so, you know, here on, let's say, use aspiration. And so with aspiration, your spending is your commitment to climate change on the planet because that's what it affects. Let's say you are at, you know, in some community part of Robinhood and Reddit where it's all about you know, like blue collar versus white collar and sticking it to the hedge funds. And so I, I think what's being revealed is that our emotional, like that, that financial products are in many examples are becoming emotional products and that's connected to social media and that goes back again to communities and storytelling and brand building because there the goal is that emotional resonance. And I think the, the volume on that emotional resonance now is much louder than ever before, but it's also in, in a way harder to achieve it authentically because you can't just run like video campaigns to tell a story and, hopefully, and hope it's a cool video. And I'm being glib here a little bit, but... but you have to realize that there is literally thousands and thousands of fintechs that all want to have that authentic connection and be differentiated. And so they're all going to be yelling into the abyss about how special they are. And so, you know, if you break through that noise, you get absolutely asymmetric rewards to your brand. But it's also much, I think, very difficult to get through that noise at the same time. I like what you're saying. Financial products are becoming emotional products. I think 50 years ago, that would have come to quite a, as quite a surprise. I don't know. I, I, it seems like so many things have changed now. And it's amazing that, as you say, we're able to vote with our money. And that's real democratization. So that is really exciting. I could talk also about this for a long time. But I actually wanted to just touch on the topic of consensus, obviously, because you... Um, yeah, I'd like you to to talk a little bit about what's your main role at Consensus because I feel like you do a lot of different things. So, what is the yeah? What, what are you? What are, what is your main role at Consensus? You're right in that I do a, a bunch of different things, but I'd say there's it's an overlap of three things, um, which for me at the heart of it is all the same thing. But it goes to that point earlier that it's taken a while to to find um, how to how to combine it. You know, so. One area is I co-lead a group that builds fintech software into products. You know, so we we build, for example, into uh, MetaMask, which is a large Ethereum crypto wallet, the ability to trade. So that's that's an example. Or we 
we help uh, financial companies interact with digital assets or central bank digital currency projects, things like that. So there's a, a software product building component and, and strategy around that. And then I also, for last year, restructured and, and ran the marketing team. Uh, and so, you know, that was a, say, fairly traditional uh, set of activities. So um, we had both uh, direct channels where it was largely marketing-led uh, and there are software products you can download or API, APIs that developers can use. And then also we had um, and have an institutional uh, channel that is intermediated by sales. You know, so you have go-to-market through sales and you have sales enablement and you have uh, the, the, the B2B conversion funnel. And so combined with brand, uh, wrapped all over, all, all, all over that. Um, and then the third leg of the stool for me now is uh, token economics. So I spent a lot of time thinking about the design of token networks and how to incentivize people through, let's say, quantitative incentives, or you could say financial incentives. And that goes to, in, in DeFi, there's, not, there's a really strong overlap between financial incentives and community building and what brands are and engagement and all that. And of course, that comes through the usage of the fintech products, right? So it's a long answer to your question, but this, this sort of, there's, there's a glue to all this stuff, which is that where things are going, financial products are software-based, they are powered by tokens, and then they form an emotional brand connection with their users, and they do so bottoms up rather than top down. And so for last year, you were focusing mostly on the marketing, and that's kind of what I wanted to, to chat about. Yeah. What what is your what is your approach uh, at consensus when it comes to from because from outside it looks like it's very education driven. You go on the consensus website and it's you've got training videos, you've got a lot of educational content. And it's really it's really exciting, and I'm guessing that that's probably because the the products that you're selling are can be complex depending on you know uh, who your target market is. So talk to me a little bit about that your approach at consensus when it comes to marketing and and sales. So. One thing to say about the educational approach is that because Consensus is a category leader in the markets that it plays in, uh, one of the most effective things you can do is promote the category rather than promote yourself. Uh, and of course, we do promote ourselves, but we explain to the world what Ethereum is, what blockchain is for, you know, how it can be used in certain use cases, whether it's uh, payments or capital markets or lending, most of, most of the times we will also be a, uh, a logical provider of those services. You know? And so one of our core activities is to explain what is happening with, with blockchain and Ethereum and Web3 and how it all interconnects and what the world looks like when you go through uh, kind of through the gateway. If you look at consensus as a company it has it's really organized around the commercial activity uh, that lives on blockchains so in the same way that e-commerce uh, shifted out of uh, physical retail blockchain-based commerce is is like its own app store it's a place where people buy and sell certain things uh, whether it's nfts or uh, financial products or what have you and so you can imagine this very kind of vibrant ecosystem and Consensus does three things around that ecosystem. The first is we help people 
access and use it with the crypto wallet. So about 7 million monthly average users in the MetaMask wallet. Um, and then number two is we need more stuff in the ecosystem. And so we help developers build applications. And then number three is we need kind of institutional and financial adoption. And so we consult and educate more conservative players to cross over and start using things. And so because of that, the marketing activity is actually fairly sophisticated is the wrong word, but maybe, you know, multi-pronged. So for users, for individuals and for people, hopefully most of the individuals are people, uh, for, for users, it's kind of like a, it's a traditional B2C playbook in the sense that you're, you're doing content, you're doing uh, paid, you're doing organic. But at the same time, MetaMask happens to have the market leading position. And so it's, it's very correlated with how the, the market adoption overall is going. And so it's almost more impactful to target market adoption rather than to target um, share of market. Yeah, so, so that's kind of on, on the consumer side. On the developer side, this is a really complex one because what you're trying to do there is not just sell to developers a product. What you're trying to do is convert developers into open source and into blockchain out of Web2. So if somebody's used to building you know, databases or uh, traditional applications, you have to tell developers, builders, engineers, a story about why building on blockchains is more powerful. And then you have to give them the libraries and the tools and the integrations in order to, to be able to do that as cheaply and seamlessly for them, right? So you, have, you end up having a pretty meaningful developer relations effort. And developer relations is another word for, I'm sure somebody would take issue with the statement, but you know, for community uh, in that you're, you're again focused on community and, and virality and building information in people's heads and changing mental models and so on. And then number th- number three is the more consultative consultative uh, enterprise approach, where you're you're really thinking about you're thinking about it in a very similar way as if you wanted to sell fintech software to an incumbent. Now, so you're going to start you know top of the funnel with with press and with content and blog posts, and um, you're going to target industry publications. So, if you're going to do asset management, then target. Uh, institutional investor. If you're going to do capital markets, then you target. You, you'd go after something like markets media, right? So you're you're going after professional niches, and then the the whole funnel goes from audience to you know qualification with case studies, and then conversion into leads, and then you you start kind of twiddling the machine uh, to integrate with a sales team uh, and help the sales team get stuff over the line. And so the you know those are. That's those are the the ends. Those are the different prongs, and of course, the challenge is if you've got this breadth of activity, how do you wrap a brand around it? And I think that's something that continues to be uh, an adventure, and is a reason why we have you know fairly separate brands for consumer with MetaMask and for developers with Infura and for institutions with Consensus. Yeah, wow, that sounds like a huge marketing effort right there, and probably marketing team as well. I mean, it's pretty much what you said when you're the industry leader of a category or is when the category is so new, you're actually better off just focusing on talking about the category and then people will eventually find consensus. But it's, yeah, it's a huge, because you're not just educating people about the company, but you're educating people about 
everything else yeah as well it's a huge effort but so. you know on the other hand you're eight, you're you're also kind of riding the wave right like yeah, there, like yeah, there's there's literally trillions of assets now that are motivating people to share these stories um that we at consensus don't control or really influence and so whereas in a traditional world you might have had to really lobby for your company to be covered you know, you're you're the the number 25 banking as a service provider uh you've got the best got the best trading apis here the amount of turnover and news and change in the crypto industry is so high that there's there's always an opportunity to be public and this is in part what what pulled me into crypto is that on a scale of 1 to 10 if finan- financial services engagement is like at a 0 or maybe at a 1 and fintech engagement with robinhood and betterment and chime and sofi is maybe like a 3 you know and Crypto is at a 10 and more, uh, the amount of conversation intensity. And that's just really, really neat because you're not in a desert. You know, you're, you're not in, a, in this sort of like overly designed corporate world that is devoid of feedback. You're, you're among your customers all the time. Yeah, that's, that's, it sounds very exciting. Plus, you're, as you're saying, you're writing the way. And when you're working in a community, then you're getting constant feedback. So it's kind of a virtuous circle, never ending virtuous circle. Well, Lex, this has been super fascinating. I have one last question for you since we're kind of going over time. From one podcaster to another, what is it that you enjoy most about podcasting? Oh, tricky, tricky question. With the podcast that I do that is is shared between Consensus and the Fintech Blueprint, the thing that's really interesting to me that I try to get to are the mental models that people have and how they got to them, you know, and so not necessarily their story or, or their experience, but how they've decided the world is and how they behave because of, of those guidelines, you know, and you can get some really interesting things about the threads that people combine into, into the rules that they have um, told themselves. And sometimes it just unlocks a whole bunch of, um, it explains both the macro themes and it explains what it is that they're trying to build. And so I really try to kind of get to as simple as possible of a framework from everyone I talk to. And it probably helps build your own mental models as well, right? Just Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lex. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.